Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word together tonight. And knowing that your word is not just intellectually learned, but spiritually discerned, we ask your Holy Spirit to give us ears that are anointed to hear, hearts to receive, minds that are open to the knowledge of the truth that liberates, delivers, and sets free. And thank you, dear Father, for him to change us from glory to glory. Yes, by your Spirit, we expect to be changed tonight, to conform to the image of Jesus and become that for which he has apprehended us, to go forth from this place, to be shining lights in a world of darkness, holding forth the word of life to this generation that you have called us to. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost and making my tongue as a pen of a ready writer to proclaim the truth of your word in power and demonstration that you would be glorified in all that is said and all that is done and that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men but the power of the living God and the resurrected Christ. And so, Father, we just thank you for demonstrations of your power and might tonight in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Last week we began a study called Worship of the Lord. Worship the Lord. And we're talking about worshiping the Lord, ministering to the Lord as being our first and foremost ministry. As a matter of fact, number one, I believe we're to minister to him. So that number two, we can be effective in ministering to the people of the body of Christ in the church. And thirdly, we can be empowered also to reach the world, people around us. So if we put first things first, which is worshiping him first, and then we're effective to minister to people, the body of Christ and all, all those that are without, will have the boldness and also the anointing and the equipping of the Spirit to be able to do so effectively. Otherwise, we try to do it in our own strength and ability. And if you try that, it just doesn't work. But praise God, if you've got the anointing of God upon you, it's a, a different ballgame. Amen. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5 will be our opening text. And let's read that together. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there, and what will they do? Worship and come again to you. Notice the word worship there, because that's the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. And what is called the law of first mention is a principle. And it really means that you should go to find where the first time, the first time that word was used, and study the setting in which it was used, because... That's when you can really find absolute meaning and complete meaning of the word. So if we want to know what worship truly is all about, we start right here in this text and keep it within the context of this incident that took place in the life of Abraham and Isaac. And we can get a better understanding of what it means to truly worship the Lord. Because sometimes I think people think that worship just means to sing a song or two. And that's... Not all that worship is about. Now the Hebrew word, and this is in Hebrew of course, for worship, it actually means to bow down or prostrate oneself. And if you read the story there, you see that basically neither one of them were prostrating themselves or bowing down, at least not physically. But Abraham was emotionally, mentally, and spiritually bowing down surrendering to the will of God and worshiping the way God wanted him to. 
Now you carry that over into the Greek and you find out in the Greek that worship has a little bit different meaning, but it's all saying the same thing. It's like the kissing of the hand as a token of reverence. It's almost like if you have a dog that licks your hand, licks its master's hand. And basically what is that? A show of absolute love, trust, devotion. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody treated you like your dog treats you? Just loves you so much and licks you and just expresses all that wonderful love and appreciation for you. Never says a thing back. Maybe barks a little bit, but you know, and all that. But anyhow, in this context, we really have a better understanding of what worship is all about. And so we're going to talk about some of the characteristics of true worship here tonight. And we're going to look at some of these verses here. So number one, what we discover is that true worship starts with revelation. Number one, it starts with revelation. Let's look at the first two verses in Genesis 22. You realize that if God doesn't reveal himself to us, we don't really know anything about him at all. But because he has revealed himself to us, there are certain things that we can know about him. And Abraham wouldn't have known what to do unless God would tell him what to do. And here's what he told him to do. It came to pass after those things that God did tempt Abraham or prove Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine hearing that about your son or your daughter? Probably wouldn't go over too well, would it? But let's begin by saying that the purpose of true worship is to glorify God. It's to honor him. It's to please him. To praise him. To give him all that he is worthy of. Worship means worthship. He is worthy of of the sacrifice that I can make as far as he is concerned and I'm concerned. So Abraham was told specifically what to do as an act of worship to please God in this manner. And that's to offer up his son Isaac upon the altar of sacrifice. And of course, Abraham, upon that revelation, gave himself to do so. But look at James chapter 4 because these verses are very important here. Look at beginning at verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Drawn out of God, he will draw out of you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your, heart, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what will happen? He will lift you up. Abraham had to surrender himself to the will of God. And I'm sure he had to resist all kind of temptation along the way. And if you know the true story, then you'll, you'll know. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. That there was a struggle. And there were certain things he had to get straightened out in his mind before he went through the act. But once he got all those things settled, it was no problem for him to surrender himself to the will of God. And to worship God the way he was asked to be worshipped. So once again, worship is to please him, not me. So that means I've got to do it the way he wants it to be done. 
whatever he asks of me to do. So worship, you could see, goes further than singing a song because they were going there to worship and they didn't sing a song. There was something different that took place, which was called an act of worship. Now, look at John's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. If you recall the story of Jesus being in the wilderness, it comes into play here as well as far as humbling himself. Because Jesus knew exactly what it means to worship the Father and how to worship the Father. And Jesus did this himself when he was tempted, just like Abraham would have been tempted not to offer up his son Isaac. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, notice the true worshipers of God, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That was in a response to the woman that asked him, the Samaritan woman that asked him, what's the right place to worship? Mount Gerizim or the temple? And of course he said, look, that's not going to be relevant anymore. True worship is going to be to the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is actually seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit. In other words, that's unlimited. And they that worship Him, notice the word must. Must worship Him. How? In spirit and in truth. Why is that word must so important? Well, must means it's a requirement. Must means it's the only way that God's going to be pleased with it. So, when you think about must, what do you think about? Being born again? Except the man be born again, right? And marvel not, I said to you, you must. Not could, not should. You must be born again. Is there any other way to heaven? So that means you must. It's a requirement. You have to be born again. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. Must believe that he is. Must believe see we must believe we must be born again we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him and we must worship him in spirit and in truth so the fact that we can worship him in spirit and truth means we can worship him anywhere whether you're a mount garrison whether you're in a temple driving in your car wherever it might be you're a spirit he's a spirit and spirit and, and worship comes from the heart from our spirit with a sincere heart based on truth, which is the revelation of God's word. So we can worship him from the heart according to the truth of his word. So, for example, when we gather around the altar here tonight, we talk about worshiping God. And remember the Bible says that his name is holy, so worship at his holy hill. And remember his name is holy. So we can do that. We can worship Jehovah Sidkenu. And how do we do that? By knowing that you are my righteousness. And you see, I should be impacted with the fact that he became my right, that I became the righteous of God in Christ because he took my sin away from me. And that was a tremendous sacrifice that Jesus made. So when I say Jehovah Sikhani, you're the Lord of my righteousness. I want to thank you for Jesus who became sin for me, who knew no sin, to make me the righteousness of God in Christ. And so I worship you from my heart. I am so grateful that you bore my sin and carried away. And then Jehovah Shalom. You're the Lord my peace. Anybody enjoy peace? Or how many of you enjoy anxiety? Worry. Fear. Fretting. Anybody enjoy that? I don't think so. Well, Jehovah Shalom. That's the name of the Lord that's holy and to be revered and worshipped. I worship you, Jehovah Shalom. You are the Lord my peace. Jesus, you gave me your peace, not as the world gives. 
your peace. Thank you for your peace in my life. And I know you keep me in perfect peace when my mind is stayed on you because I trust you. And so I just worship you. I exalt your name from my heart. You can do this anywhere. And it goes on. All the names of, of Jehovah, which is his, his redemptive covenant-keeping name in the Old Testament. Jesus in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament it was Jehovah. So Jehovah, you are my shepherd. Jehovah Ruah. I shall not want. I just won't want for any good thing. Coming from the lips of David, who was a shepherd, who knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He knew that a shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, which is why he went after the lion and he after, went after the bear. Because he knew you lay down your life. He wasn't a hireling. It was his father's sheep. And so, under the stars, he had a revelation. See, it starts with revelation. He had a revelation of Jehovah Ruah. Lord, you're my shepherd. That's how the 23rd Psalm came about. I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. My goodness, he's just worshiping the Father that way. You restore my soul. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you, Jehovah Ruah. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And so on. And the list goes on. Jehovah Nissi. Oh, what a, what a name to really, really honor and adore. You are my victor. Your banner over me is love. You're El Shaddai, the God of plenty. You're more than enough. You defend me. You fight for me. You protect me. Jehovah Nissi. And then Jehovah Jireh, you're my provider. Thank God for providing every need according unto your riches and glory, Father, by Christ Jesus, my Lord. I worship that holy name. I extol that name on high. So from the heart, based on the revelation of the word, you can continue. Jehovah Rapha, you're the Lord, my physician, my great healer. And I want to thank you for the son of righteousness who has arisen with healing in his wings. I thank you for your healing powers flowing into my body right now. Jehovah Makedesh or Makedesh, any way you want to say it. You're my sanctifier. Thank you for sanctifying me by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I just thank you for the manifestation of your sanctifying grace operative in my life each and every day. So in spirit, with a sincere heart in truth, based on the revelation of the word that tells me he's a loving, caring, heavenly father, I can truly, truly worship him. So it's not just singing a song. It's gaining a revelation of who he is and then honoring him for being that to us. Secondly, we also see that it requires submission. A, an act of worship truly is an act of submission. We are submitting ourselves to do what he's required of us. And what did Abraham do? He had to submit himself. Look at verse 3, Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. So he was acting in obedience to submit himself to do what God said to do. And again, put yourself in that same situation, thinking about what he was asked to do. Now, if you were asked to do something like that and you had the choice of doing that or singing a song, what would you rather do? Sing a song, <laughs> wouldn't you? Who would want to offer up their child? Nobody would. 
So you see, it's, it, it's more than just singing a song, a worship service, singing a song. I worship the Lord once a week on Sunday morning or maybe twice on Wednesday evening. And that's worship, singing songs with other people. No, he had to be obedient. Obedience to do, submitting ourselves to do what he's required of us to do is an act of worship. And this was a difficult situation. But look at John's gospel, chapter 14. And notice verses 21 through 23. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. How is our love demonstrated and revealed toward God? We keep his commandments. We do what he tells us to do. That's obedience. And he that loves me shall be loved to my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, if not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode in him or with him. So obedience to do what God requires of us to do is also an act of worship. So in actuality, if you're here tonight out of obedience to fellowship with others of like precious faith, to assemble yourselves together with other believers, and you're doing that from your heart with a sincere heart, with a desire to meet with God, that is an act of worship. When you gave of your tithes and your offerings, remember we're told in the scriptures that we are to honor the Lord, which means hold him in high esteem and regard with your substance and the first fruits of your increase, which is an act of worship. And once again, if I just throw it in there and just say, I've, I've got to do this, well, well, then that's really not an act of worship. You're just doing it because you feel you're required to do it, but not from the heart. So if you're coming here tonight to worship the Lord together with other people, if you're coming here as an act of obedience to gather together with other people of like precious faith so that you can be a blessing to somebody and so that you can honor the Lord, that is an act of worship. If you gave of your tithes and offerings from a sincere heart, wanting to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth and give back to the Lord what is rightfully his, that is an act of worship. Praying. If you're praying because you want to seek the face of God, because you want to advance his kingdom upon the earth, because you want to touch the hearts and lives of other people uh, to get them saved, healed, delivered, set free, or whatever, that is an act of worship before God. Even studying the word of God is showing that you are submitting yourself to him because you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. And you're worshiping him by getting into his word and finding out what he said. This is his roadmap for all of us to follow. And it will take us down a pretty good path, wouldn't you say? And a wonderful destination. So we can continue on in all these different things. When you're witnessing out there for Jesus that is an act of genuine worship that you're applying yourself to the truth of God's word with a sincere heart to minister life to somebody else because there is nothing more important on earth than getting someone who is lost into the kingdom of God. That is the most important thing that we could possibly do. And so these are many different ways that we can worship God. But look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 4. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to once again... Um, Bring this out. In this temptation of our Lord, keep in mind that in the beginning when Adam fell, Satan tempted him with food. It wasn't get him to eat and gain weight. 
That wasn't the, the objective. It was to get him to worship him. Satan was the Lucifer, the worship leader in heaven. And he got tired of leading all creation in worship. He desired to be worshipped. He wanted to receive that worship. He used faith, I will, I will, I will, I will, to overthrow God. But he fell in the process because he stepped beyond the boundaries God established for his existence. Well, now he sees man created in the image and likeness of God. He's jealous, of course, again, because of his position. What does he do? He comes along and intrudes into the garden and tempts them with food, and they are victimized. They fall victim, physical temptation, food, eat the food. Really, it was to get them to bow and worship him, and that's exactly what they did. They bowed and they worshiped him. Now, that was the first Adam. This is the second Adam or the last Adam. And this last Adam is in the wilderness being tempted of the devil, right? After being filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in water and all that. And now the devil, the first time he tried it was what? Food. And what did Jesus say? He rebuked him with the word, right? He said, it is written. Secondly, trickery to get him to think that if you throw yourself down, angels will pick you up. We could quote the scriptures too, he says, the devil says. Jesus said, it is written. You don't tempt the Lord your God. But thirdly, and this is the big one, this, these are the big guns he pulls out. He takes them up into an exceeding high mountain, shows them all the kings of the world and the glory of them, and says to him, all these things will I give thee if you will fall down and what? That's what he wanted. He wanted that with the food. He wanted that with the trickery. He wants worship. He wanted to be worshipped like God in the beginning. He wants to be worshipped like God now, right here. And he wants Jesus to fall victim. Worship me. That's what he wanted. Self-generated pride produced his fall. And now man fell victim likewise. But Jesus said to him, once again, let's read on. It is written. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Notice what he wanted. He wanted worship, and Jesus knew it, and he goes, uh-uh. You will not get my worship. I will worship my Father, and that's all there is to it. And notice he used the word, it is written, it is written, it is written. Which means the sword of the Spirit is what? Voice activated. When you and I say it is written, that's voice activated activating the power of the word, allowing the Holy Spirit to move upon it and make it good in our lives. That's exactly what Jesus used to counteract the devil, to, to resist him. So Jesus fulfilled James 4, 6 through 10 that we just read a little bit earlier. He submitted himself to the word of God. He resisted the devil and he had to flee. And then God exalted him, highly exalted him, lifted him up because of his decision that he made to worship him, to worship God alone. Notice there was no singing involved there. But there was a declaration of the word of God. And as an act of faith, he released the word of God and worshiped God by standing against the temptation of the enemy. And that's called worship. And you and I could do the same thing. As a matter of fact, we, we talked, we kind of dovetails these two messages. When you and I speak in the natural and we speak 
let's say, tempted by the devil to speak things that we shouldn't be speaking, how we feel and all that sort of thing, we're playing right into the hands of the enemy. I'm so miserable. Life is so miserable. I just can't stand it and all that. We're actually worshiping the circumstance or the enemy and exalting it above the word of God. Even though that might be a reality in the natural world, God wants us to start declaring the truth of his word and worship him by saying, oh, I may feel bad, but by his stripes, I was healed. It may seem like I can't pay my bill this week, but I'm telling you right now, my God supplies all my need according unto his riches and glory. But Christ Jesus, you are worshiping God by releasing his word. In that situation, exalting it above the circumstance, you're honoring him, you're worshiping him, you're putting him first. You can sing a song if you want to, but it's still an act of worship when you put God first above the situation. Now, obedience as an act of worship really is something that we are involved in every day. A decision that we make even to pray, study God's word, to do the things that he has already required of us in scripture is an act of worship. I am worshiping him by doing that. I am attributing worth to him by saying, I'm exalting you, your kingdom, all that you stand for above my circumstances, above my situations, above my feelings, above even human reasoning. As a matter of fact, to be honest with you, this is the easiest thing for all of us to do. Anybody out there have a body? Anybody have a body? Okay, I know there's three enemies, the devil, the world, and the flesh, right? The devil's really not the biggest problem that we have. But the flesh, hmm, kind of wants its own way sometimes, does it not? And so we don't want to exalt feelings above the word of God. Because that's basically fallen victim to worshiping how we feel above what God says in our lives. Okay, and then... Reasoning. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Didn't the Israelites, when they came before the promised land, lean on their own understanding? What they saw caused them to do what? Worship the situation above the power of their God. So under Moses, they couldn't get to the promised land. As a result, of course, they were kept out and they lived a life for 40 years in the wilderness until they all died because of what they believed, because of what they said. So they worshiped the circumstances above the power of God. But Joshua and Caleb had a different song, didn't they? A different statement. They didn't worship the walls of Jericho. They didn't worship, attribute worth to, the giants and how huge they are. And all those emotional giants, each one's, each giant in the land stands for an emotional condition that you and I can encounter in this life to keep us out of our promised land. Compromise, oppression, depression, fear, low self-esteem. All those ites, the Canaanites, Jebusites, you know, all the ites that were there, they all stand for an emotional situation or condition designed to help keep us out of the promised land. And we can't be victimized by those. We've got to exalt the word above all those feelings and above all those emotions. So whether it's the body telling us certain things or the soul, human reasoning. From the spirit 
we exalt the Lord our God and we worship him above all feeling and above human reasoning. And when Joshua and Caleb did that with the others that they taught to do that, they went around the same walls of Jericho. And what happened? They proved that God was bigger than the walls. God was bigger than the circumstance. And that's exactly what we need to do. Number three, we find out also there's a need for preparation. Here we go back to verse three and notice once again what Abraham did. He rose up early in the morning. He saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, and claimed the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had told him to go to. So what he did was he prepared himself for the act of worship. To prepare is the process or the action by which we get ready for a test, a duty, or an occasion. So what did he have to do? He had to worship God in a certain way. So he got all the things that were necessary, all the things that were needed, got them all together. Little did Isaac know that he was the sacrifice. Imagine that. But he was with him. He got the wood and all that other things that were necessary. But the main thing that he had with him was a right spiritual and mental attitude that he brought with him before he went up and worshiped. What's that tell us? We need to do likewise. Whatever the act of worship may be, if you're going to study the word of God, how many of you know that it's a whole lot easier to study the word of God with the television off? Right? If you're coming to church to worship the Lord, how many of you know that it's important to bring a right mental attitude with you when you come to church, knowing that you're going to go there and exclusively give your time to worship and minister to the Lord? And so therefore you prepare yourself. You prepare yourself spiritually. You might pray in the Holy Spirit as you're coming down the highway. Um, mentally you prepare yourself. Even though you see someone that maybe you don't like the color of their dress, you don't focus on that. And you prepare yourself to make that mental decision that you're not going to take that position. And there's many distractions that can take place, but my, you get my point. You're preparing yourself when you come, no, no matter whether it's here or if you're going out to witness for somebody, to somebody, you prepare yourself. You're not going to get out there on the street and get someone saved just by walking out in the street and getting someone saved. You're going to spend some time preparing yourself, praying in the Holy Ghost, binding the work of the enemy. And then being someone that's going to take a stand against the forces of darkness that are binding and blinding people's minds. Or if you come to a church service, the same thing is true. I'm going to make a decision that I am going to apply myself, whether we're singing songs of worship or listening to the teaching of the word of God, I am not going to be distracted. So you could say this, that when you're in a church service, probably not the best thing to do is to do your nails during the service or you know, striking up a conversation. How many of you know there's a lot of distractions all around us created by the enemy to get our focus and attention off of the word of God that's being spoken or off of the presence of God that we want so profoundly manifested every time we gather together. So we prepare ourselves for this act of worship just like he did. He got everything together, had the right mental attitude, and he set out to see to it that he was going to worship the Lord. Now notice this next one, very important. Separation. Number four. Separation. Notice the next verse. Verse five. We read this, but read it again. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad 
will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now notice, he's saying, you take care of the worldly things. You take care of the donkey. You take care of other things. I'm sure he had other people taking care of things back home. But he had these that went with him, probably to help him along the way. But he said, now you stay here. You take care of worldly things. This, my son and I, the lad and I, we're going to go up yonder and we are going to worship. That's separation. Separating yourself from other things to get yourself to a place that you're exclusively in the presence of the living God. And sometimes that's not an easy thing to do in our society today. Would you agree? You know, you, you can be alone with God in the car, but the temptation is to put on the radio and listen to some music. There's nothing wrong with listening to some good Christian music, right? But did you know that if you shut it off, you might listen to God? Right? But the temptation, you walk into a store. What's blaring? Music. All the distractions are all around us. But look in Mark's gospel. Look what Jesus did. He's our example to follow. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, that's exactly what Abraham did, got up in the morning. He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. His act of worship was prayer. His act of worship was getting into contact with his heavenly father. He went to a private place where he would not be bothered by anyone else. Now, we can do that, you know, as individuals. Not necessarily have to go to a mountain somewhere. But there can be a place, you know, where you can just set yourself apart. Remember Jesus said, go into your prayer closet and pray there. In other words, get, get alone with God. Now, here's something I like to do. Look at Psalm chapter 5. I th this is so beautiful, so, so wonderfully stated. And I, I would want to think that others will take this to heart as well. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Meditation can be an act of worship. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice will you hear late in the day after I've done everything else I need to do. It doesn't say that. My voice shall you hear after I've had my morning coffee and um, eggs. Hmm. My voice Shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and what will I do? And look up. It's almost like he's saying that when I wake up, I look up. You could be lying there by yourself in bed, and just alone in that room, and you just look up. And what do you say? I think it's Psalm 92 or whatever that says, Thank you for your faithfulness at night and your loving kindness in the morning. Think about those two statements. Thank you for your faithfulness at night. The nighttime is when we're most vulnerable. You're asleep. You have no idea what's going on around you. But guess what? He does. And before you went to bed at night, you probably just said, I released the holy angels to surround the perimeter of my property and believing that they will defend me and fight for me throughout the night. When all that evil's out there taking place, but I am defended because the hand of God is upon me. Holy Spirit's around me and all these angels, these warrior angels, just surrounding me. Thank you for your faithfulness at night and loving kindness that's renewed every morning, is it not? 
And so what, look how simple that prayer is. Look how simple that act of worship is. You open up your eyes and you look up and say, I'm directing my prayer towards you. And this, this morning, you're going to hear my voice. I want to look up and say, thank you for keeping me safe during the night. And thank you for your loving kindness this morning. May your spirit of obedience rest upon me today. Throughout this day, I dedicate it to you. I surrender to you. I worship you. First and foremost, I'll tell you what, that will go a long way throughout the day. It takes seconds to do something like that. Amen? Thank you for your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Look at uh, the next one. Look at number five. True worship is sacrificial. True worship is sacrificial. Now here we get to the meat of it. This is going to cost him something dearly. Look at, uh, once again, Genesis 22, beginning at verse 5. Look at this. It's going to cost him something dearly. A sacrifice is giving up something for something else. Something of value. Something important to you for something else. So he said to his young men, abide here with the ass, and I will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for an offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. That's obedience. And Abraham built an altar there. That's preparation. And laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. Would you like to hear his thoughts about that time? Isaac's thoughts, that is. Uh, we've never worshipped this way before. Where's the lamb? Hmm. You wonder what he's thinking, right? And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Once again, we're talking about worship. He's not singing any song right now, is he? I don't think so. He might be doing something different right now, like, has my dad lost his mind? What's he thinking of? What's he doing right now? I mean, my goodness. But notice, it cost him something. And you know, true sacrifice, true worship really will cost us something. There's something that you and I are going to have to give up to show our love for God. This act of offering up his son was a type of God offering up his son for the sin of the world. Think about it. It was a miraculous birth with Sarah, right? Sure it was. His only son with Sarah, his prized possession, and he offered him up. God then was obligated to give his son, heaven's best, born miraculously, a miraculous virgin birth, the incarnation, hypostatic union of deity and humanity. And then, of course, he offered him as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. Well, you and I are also going to have to sacrifice certain things in our lives as an act of worship. For example, once again, you're worshiping right now by sacrificing your time 
You could be cutting the grass, you could be shopping, you can be doing other things, but you chose as an act of your will to be here, to worship God with other people of like precious faith, you sacrificed your time. You gave of your finances. That was an act of worship. You sacrificed. You know, I've had people ask me this all the time. Well, if I'm on a fixed income and all that, how can I tithe? How can I give to the Lord? Because I need that for myself just to pay my bills. And you know what? It really never fails. If people really take this to heart and they understand this, if you will sacrifice for the Lord, he will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour you out of blessing. You wouldn't be able to contain it all. You see, that's an act of worship where you know exactly what you're doing. You're worshiping God, knowing that as you give to him first, it's like planting seed into the ground. It's like taking the last tomato on the planet and rather than eating it, you're going to sow the seeds into the ground and you're going to have a harvest full. So that's the difference. When you're worshiping God and you know that, you're going to sacrifice some things. Your time, your effort, your energy, your talents, your abilities, your goals, your aspirations, your dreams, your plans that you might have for yourself. Because truly, an act of worship is to follow God's plan for your life and not your own. You may want to be this superstar. And yet he wants you to be a missionary somewhere in another land. An act of worship says, I sacrifice my plan for his plan. I want his plan for my life, not my plan for my life. So once again, worship goes beyond just the voice singing a worship or a praise song to the Lord. You're making a decision to honor God, be obedient to him, find out what his plan is, and submit yourself, surrender yourself to do it, even if it's a sacrifice that you have to make. Amen. And then six, I love this part. Worship is safe. It's safe. It's secure. It's safe. What do you mean by that? First of all, let's read verses 11 through 18. Genesis 22. Now, Isaac's about to be killed by his father. An angel of the Lord called out to him, him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know. How powerful are those words? Now I know. What do you know? I know that you fear God. Seeing that you hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and looked or took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the, instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah, what? Jireh. You know, we know we say Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider. But that's a place, it's called a place of provision, surrender, obedience, complete consecration and dedication. That's Jehovah Jireh. Not just providing my need. It's a place of surrender, obedience, complete consecration and dedication. It's a place. He called the name of the place. Jehovah Jireh is a place. It's a place that we get to, that we recognize and we realize that as we worship God, completely it's a safe place to be in because you see he provided the need didn't he 
So to say that, how do I know I'm going to be able to make it? Because it's a safe thing to do. To give of your tithe, to give of your offering, to give of yourself, to give of your life, to give of your plans, of your aspirations, your goals and dreams is a wonderful thing. It's a safe thing to do because God will bless you for that. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. See, it's a safe place of blessing. In multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. He gave up one son in the mind of God. He actually did it. He would have a whole lot more. And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Everybody say, wow. Say it backwards. Wow. Think about that. You see, there's that reservation that we might have if i really go all out and if i really give it all what am is that a safe thing to do yes it is because when you do it as an act of worship before the lord he will bless you multiply you multiply your seed sown do you do you see all the principles here but it's an act of worship i truly am worshiping you it's a safe place because i know exactly what i'm doing now, I want you to show you how safe it is. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, because Abraham went into this whole situation knowing the outcome before he ever did it. So I want us all to get this. We know the outcome in advance. So when you know the outcome in advance, and you know how it has to end up, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Is it not a whole lot easier when you know the outcome? Before I read that, I'll never forget this. I was in California visiting my son. And this young man came running out of his house. He was a Green Bay Packer fan. He had the cheese head on top of his head. He comes running out to the streets shouting, shouting that the Green Bay Packers won the game. It wasn't even football season. It was a rerun. You knew the outcome before the game started. It says it right on the bottom there. Packers won this game. Da, 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 da. But he came running out, shouting from the mountaintops. That's what that cheese does on top of your head. See, it's just a little, little hard to wear there. When you know the outcome, it's a safe place to be in. Okay, so let's read this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried or proven, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So when you put this statement side by side, this is exactly what he did. He took one statement of God and said, God, you said that in Isaac would the seed come and the world be blessed. On this hand, you said, kill your son, Isaac, before he got married, before he has any children. 
And so when it says he gave an account, he, he took all of them into account. He considered all things before he made his decision to worship. And he went, you've got to have children. You're going to be dead. I'm going to have you know, grandkids, but you're going to be dead. So back and forth, back and forth, and then it hit him. Don't you love it when the light bulb goes on? I see it now. Here's the outcome. If I kill him, God can't lie. He's got to get married and have kids. God's got to raise him from the dead. Simple as that. Because what did he say in Genesis 22 and verse 5? I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And he didn't say I'm going to leave him there dead. And we're both coming back. We're both coming back because I know the outcome. God has to raise him from the dead. So when you give sacrificially unto the Lord, you know the outcome. The outcome is you, he's going to open up the window gates of heaven. He's going to pour out a blessing that you don't have enough room to contain at all. You know that's the outcome. Why? Because he said he would. So you take one statement, compare it to the other statement, if I give, see the devil will say, don't, don't give it, keep it for yourself and be stingy and then da, 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 besides you can't pay your bills and all that. You know that's exactly what he wants you to do is worship him and what he has to say about it. But when you say, mm -mm, I know the outcome. If, well first of all, if he said you know, won't be able to pay your bills, don't you know he's a liar? Is he not a liar? Okay, so then you say, uh-uh, I know the outcome. I'm going to give. Alright, for example, when I was called, to go into the ministry, life was good. Had a good job. Had good insurance, hospitalization completely covered and all that. Uh, making good money. Security. I was with my family, around my family. We all lived in the same Youngstown area. And life was wonderful. And when he told me to leave to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to go to Rainbow Bible Training Center, I was reluctant at first and thought, really? Really? But when you know that God is in it, and you know that God says, there's anybody that sacrificed anything in this life that won't get back a hundredfold if you give your all to me. It's a safe thing to do. And you know what? He has better foresight than we have. The job that I said I had that was such a good job, within two years was down. The mill closed. I would have lost my job. He said, sell all that you have and leave and go to Tulsa. Go to Tulsa, leaving my family security and you know, your comfort zone and all that sort of thing. And I'm thinking, that's a sacrifice to make. That's an act of worship. It's a sacrifice. But guess what? He said, now go back. When you're done with school, go back. And from that was 79. That was 30, almost 38 years ago this month that he said to do that. And it's because of obedience to do what God said to do, that God was able to do what God has done here in this place among all of us and to use me in that manner. So in other words, when you know the end result, now back then I didn't know what I know now. I just stepped out in faith. I must have said a million times, my God supplies all my need according to this riches and glory of Christ Jesus. I know my God will supply all my need. And you know what? He did. He really did. Even though I was down there with basically a part-time job, on minimum wage, 
hard time to pay your rent and all that, but supernaturally throughout the entirety of my stay there, actually everything was paid. And I came back debt free. And miraculously, it was done. When God's behind it, I guarantee you, it's going to be just like it was with Abraham. He'll bless you. It's safe. It's a safe thing to do. And finally, let's get to this final point. There's so much more to say about that. But if there's true worship, there's also false worship. Do you realize that? There can be false worship. And too often, many are engaged in what is false worship. Number one, there's vain worship. Notice in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, you hypocrites, this is Jesus speaking, well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draws nigh to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do what? Worship me, teaching the doctrines, for doctrines, the commandments of men. Okay, this is how you're supposed to worship God. You do this. Uh, you can't eat meat. You can't marry. Da, 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 da. Wait a minute. Where's that taught in Scripture? See, teaching commandments that men impose upon people. That's vain worship. Man doing it his own way, basically, so to speak, and coming up with their own commandments. And he says, this is, not, this is not true worship. It's vain worship. But then you have what is called ignorant worship. Vain worship is based on tradition. Ignorant worship is based on a lack of knowledge. Look in the book of Acts, chapter 17. This is Paul. He's going through this town, and what he's, this is what he says. I passed by and beheld your devotions. Now notice, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare unto you. You know, people could be sincere in their worship, but it could be ignorantly done. Then he goes on and he says this, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives life to all, to all life and breath and all things. And he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the earth, face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are of the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, is that he, in that he raised Christ, he hath raised him up from the dead, that is Christ. Okay, so he's saying these people are ignorantly worshiping an unknown God. They know nothing about him, but they are doing what? They're worshiping him in some, some fashion, some way that they're unaware of. They don't even know what they're doing. And Paul says that's ignorant worship. 
The last one before I want to make a little testimony here. It's called will worship. Look at Colossians chapter 2. This is will worship. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why is though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using. After the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in what? Will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. This is worship that goes above and beyond what God requires of people. This is really self-imposed worship that people put upon themselves. Going far and above to the point of, for example, some people, you know, they would cut themselves and, and, and beat their flesh and do all kinds of different things because they want to show how sincere they are before God. But God never desired that man would worship him that way. That's called will worship. Man imposing this self-imposed form of worship on themselves that God never ordained. And people are out there doing that. So it's basically self-pleasing. It's something that pleases them. If they fast, it's not, now it's not 40 days. We want to go 100 days. And God never said to do anything like that. But people do that because they think that that's going to, what's going to make them more spiritual. Not so. In closing, this quick testimony. This young boy saw his um, father whittling out the idols that his people worshipped. This was in a remote place in Africa. And a missionary was being sent there. And he didn't know that. But one day as he was walking by, watching his father whittle out these idols, it caught his attention, and I believe this is the Holy Spirit, I really do. The Spirit of God falling upon this individual saying, something bringing conviction to his soul. And the young man says, my father's hands make the idols that my people worship. Who makes my father's hands? And he went up to the mountaintop every day and said, who makes my father's hands? He would stand there looking upward and say, my father's hands make the idols that my people worship. Who makes my father's hands? There was some conviction in his soul about an unseen God that made his father's hands and he wanted to know about it. He did it so often, so long enough that one day an angel appeared to him and said, go back down to the edge of the jungle and a man will be riding in on an elephant with a black book in his hand and he will tell you who makes your father's hands. And this missionary who was there and evangelized the other uh, villages around about, the people wouldn't even take him to that tribe because they were a bunch of cannibals and they said, you will not come back alive. He said, God sent me. God sent me. I'm going to go there. I know I have to go there. They said, he said, you're on your own. You got an interpreter, you're on your own. So he goes there and he's on the elephant and he has this Bible in his hand. And when you get to the place where he was at, he had to go by elephant. He couldn't go any further by Jeep. So he had to go by elephant. And he goes in beyond the jungle and this young man walks over, sees him on an elephant with a black book in his hand and says, who makes my father's hands? He told him all about Jesus. He got saved and the whole tribe got saved. Instead of eat, eat, eating each other, they ate like they were supposed to eat. They were no longer cannibals. But look at that observation, that one act of seeking God and another act of worshiping God 
resulted in the whole tribe being saved. The conclusion, every one of us is to, to worship God. Number one priority in all of our lives. We need to find out the way he wants us to worship him and then act accordingly. And if we'll do that, praise God, whether it's giving up your dreams for his, whether it's um, playing a musical instrument or singing using the talent that he gave you to honor him. I'm never going to ask you to offer up your child because that's not going to happen. But whatever it is, is it not worth it? Is he worthy of it? Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.